Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. She was shot in the head for daring to suggest girls should go to school. Today's podcast is sponsored by Lit Lovers, the foremost book club website where information around literature comes together in a community of book lovers. In an effort to bring the screen to books once a month, ScreenThoughts.net will combine the film with the book in a podcast for book clubs all over America. They shot me on the left side of my forehead. They thought that the bullet would silence us. Nobody thought that she will survive. But I am the same Malala. Today's book slash film is based on I Am Malala, the girl who stood up for education and was shot by the Taliban, and the newly released documentary, He Named Me Malala, which is playing in theaters right now. We're so excited to have this be our first podcast where we've read the book and seen the movie. So, O'Toole, do you want to get us started on what you thought of a little bit of both? Yes, absolutely. And just one other thing. We just saw this documentary at the Hamptons International Film Festival, and one of the actors who was present at the festival was Emily Blunt. And as she was being interviewed, they were mentioning her other movies, such as Devil Wears Prada and her Tom Cruise movies. And then she announced that she's going to be starring in Girl on the Train. And the crowd went wild. And Emily Blunt just stopped and said, wow, that really goes to show the power of a book. And there were so many people present at the screening of the documentary because they had read the book, I Am Malala, their children had read the book. And um, we understand from litlovers.com that this was the number one book on their website. It still last is, month. I believe. I still I think it's their number one. They're getting the most uh, most interest in that book of all the books that are on the on the homepage presently. So it's very exciting. Did you know the audiobook version that they did for kids won a Grammy? No, I didn't. And Archie Punjabi reads the audiobook for adults. What we love. So what did you think of the book? The story, of course, is so inspiring. And I think that's why it's resonating with everyone everyone around the globe, teenagers, people of any age, that a girl of 15 years can really stand up and help change the world. It's incredibly inspiring. Especially in a, in a culture that doesn't allow women a voice at all, to say nothing of the Taliban, you know, in, in, in Pakistan, um, it makes it even all the more. And, you know, that's something that's so shocking is to know that that wasn't always the case. And as Malala herself says, education for girls used to be a right and the Taliban made it a crime. And it's such a heart-wrenching reminder that cultures can change radically and the cost of that and how hard people have to fight to reacquire a right that so many take as a given. Yeah, it's it's very true. Now, I saw the movie before I read the book, and I want to I want to say that I think both the book and the movie bring very very strong uh pluses. And so I would recommend in this particular case seeing seeing the movie and reading the book. The movie gave a visual of why Malala gets to be the voice that she is globally. She on the screen is so compelling. Her smile, even though uh, because she was shot in the face, which we'll talk a bit about later by the Taliban, who thought they'd killed her, but three bullets into the head did not kill this young woman. Uh, Her smile and her vivaciousness and her exuberance on the screen is not in the book. And the book... Uh, 
definitely doesn't show her jeu de vivre, if you will, for everything from fighting with her brothers to her passion around education. And then the book goes into the history of how she became the fighter and the uh, the you know, preeminent young woman to fight for education in Pakistan. The book goes into the details of the history of that in a way the film does not. You're absolutely right, Hollister. Malala is truly a multimedia feast. She is. It's true. And of course, one of the things that launched her into fame and notoriety and great danger was the fact that she started blogging at the age of 11 when a BBC journalist... Under pseudonym. She was not able to do it under her own name. And it's true. The book can bring out great factual detail that a 90-minute documentary cannot. And as you say, the documentary can show visually some things that the book, even though it includes photos, the visual medium of the documentary has its own strengths. And there's also the voice of Malala. It's true, yeah. We realize the importance of light when we see darkness, the importance of our voice when we are silenced. Let us pick up our books and our pens. They are our most powerful weapons. Uh, It's interesting, though, because the film doesn't really uh, let us know how she became the voice that she became. And it's missing. And it's funny. I did read some reviews of the film. And most people say it just doesn't go deep enough. I want to know why she became, who she became, etc. But I will say that both the book and the film show this ever-looming, you know, in America, he would be called a helicopter parent, her father. Mm -hmm. Uh, And many do wonder how much her father is her voice, meaning, you know, did he use her to put his platform in front of the world? Because his platform mirrors her own. And in some cases, you do, certainly in the written word, uh, see his voice very, very prevalent in her opinions and where she comes from. And in the movie, you can see her attachment to him and that they are both fighting for the same cause uh, you know, full force. So well, that's very it's, interesting. It's a great lead in because I did have two questions about the documentary, which was directed by Davis Guggenheim, who brought us Waiting for Superman and is, of course, the Oscar winning director of the Al Gore documentary An Inconvenient Truth. Um, but the book, the title, and I know, Hollister, that you are so big on titles. I am. I care about titles. <laughs> and it's a very interesting shift from. I am Malala uh-huh. in the first person exactly. to he yes. to he named me Malala. Uh-huh. And the exactly. title of the book, it's chilling because when the book starts, it starts at the peak moment, if you will, when she is about to be shot in the head by the Taliban. He raised his arm and pointed at me. Some of the girls screamed and I squeezed Muniba's hand. Who is Malala? I am Malala and this is my story. I did question why Davis Guggenheim changed the title from I Am Malala. Perhaps it was a proprietary issue with the intellectual property rights, I don't know, to He Named Me Malala. There was a shift into making it the father's story. Yeah, I agree. You named her after a girl who spoke out and was killed. It's almost as if you said she'll be different. You're right. And if I have one criticism of the documentary, it's that I think he waited too long to introduce the mother 
and the rest of the family. 20 minutes into the documentary, I started to question if the mother was still alive. Yeah. And that she's a backseat to, to what's going on between Malala and her father in the world. And she doesn't want to be in the forefront of it. So I understood why she wasn't introduced maybe until a little further in the film. They could have shown the family and then continued with the story of the father and the daughter who have such a close relationship. Yeah. I mean, you know, that didn't, that didn't, uh, you know, I I didn't think her mother wanted to be or is really part of Malala's journey that the world is looking at, you know, versus her at home journey. But I think that could have been explained as opposed to just automatically backseating her without an explanation. Right. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think f- for me, bringing her family into the picture the way they did, it's almost as if they made the documentary after much of which they're going to talk about had already happened. And whenever you're in that situation, as you know, uh, and you don't have footage that you need to show the storyline along the way, and you can't go back to Pakistan to get the footage because you'll probably be killed if you do, they were trying to sort of recreate storylines at this, you know, beautiful home in Birmingham, uh, England. And so I think, I think that's to me a big weakness in the documentary is they don't have the footage to truly document the journey that they're trying to describe. And so, um, they did have pictures of the inside of the bus in which she was shot, but they don't have the footage they need. So they're trying to sort of tell the storyline around footage that just doesn't make sense to what they're saying. So when they're talking about their life in Pakistan and they're doing it from the kitchen of this Birmingham home in England, it just doesn't quite fit, you know? Huh. Um, What did you think of the use of graphics in, I I call them graphics, but it's really that animated storytelling style where they start out with that mythological tone, again, alluding to the title, He Named Me Malala, how the father had named her after Malalai, the Pashtun heroine. Oh, and you said that so beautifully, O'Toole. Okay, so what was interesting for me is we were at the Hamptons Film Festival. What did we see, 20 movies in four or five days? I mean, we saw a lot of films. At least. And it just seemed to me that there's this pattern in filmmaking now, uh, especially in the documentary zone, where they're using this type of um, illustrative uh, notations in the films, beginning the films, et cetera. And there must have been four or five where we saw this kind of beautiful illustrative uh, uh, use of illustration in the film. And I do think it really works. And for me, it was a great lay-in to her being born. But then they skipped the rest of what happened after she was born. You know, at one point, her father, it's not in the book, but it is in the film, where her father says she used to sit in the room and listen to me talking to my friends and to, you know, in his terms, you know, as he was pushing to open a school for girls and these things that he was doing. So you could see where she would become passionate about it. Um, I do have to believe that much of her early voice might have been his, including the blog writing. Did you go back and did you get a chance to go read her blog? I did read some of her blog, but what is very interesting to me is that I think in this case, it's definitely pronounced because her father is such a strong voice and such an activist. And interestingly enough, um, share something in common with Emily Blunt, um, the whole bit that they went into the documentary about how the father suffered from a stutter and how Malala always admired 
that he, even if he got stuck on certain words, instead of skipping over them, he just would not continue until he got it out. And again, it was a parable for voicing what needs to be voiced. But I think something that was very strong is that it showed that every generation is so influenced by the generation that came before. So even Malala's father, it was very interesting. At the film festival, there was a princess from the Swat Valley, a very down-to-earth, fabulously interesting princess who was there to answer questions about Malala and her family because they were close family friends. And the princess who was there, she said that her grandfather had once ruled the Swat Valley, and he was the one who encouraged Malala's father to become educated and to become a teacher. And in turn, Malala's father encouraged Malala to become educated, which as you know from the book and the documentary at that time was just not a given, Um, which is how Davis Guggenheim starts the story, which I thought was beautifully told about the family tree. And as you see through these beautiful illustrations, her father adding Malala's name to the family tree, it was the first time it had ever been done in hundreds of years. And I I think that lays the groundwork that the book doesn't do. In other words, if you see the film you'll see that uh, you'll see that that you that you don't see in the book and when, one of the you know the thing that the book brings in though is really much more it, it's sort of the the film skims over Malala's uh, thought process the book goes into it more deeply and one of my favorite parts is when Malala entered a a speech contest and she didn't do well the first time out but she ended her speech um, with a quote uh, that Lincoln, uh, as in Abraham Lincoln, as in America's Lincoln, (laughs) wrote in a letter to his son's teacher, teach him how to gracefully lose. And she ended her speech with that. And she looked up and her father was smiling. And she said in that moment, she learned to gracefully lose. And, uh, you know, there were moments like that in the book that do not, you know, the interviews with her in the movie don't show that really, really intimate side inside her. But that was and mentioned I, in the documentary, which I thought was great yeah. because at the end when they say she was nominated for the Nobel Prize and did not win that first year she was nominated, I thought that tied that together beautifully. Yeah, I think I think so. And then also um, the quotes at the, at, the, at the beginning of each chapter in the book, Malala, I think if I were doing a book club, uh, I certainly would take those quotes and expand on those because really the story, it's a very long book for a very short story, you know, and, um, but the quotes at the beginning of each chapter are such great, you know, discussion points. Uh, like for example, um, in, in, in part two, where it starts with the, the Valley of the Death in the book, it's, um, farewell music, even your sweetest tunes are kept silent. The Taliban on the edge of the village have stilled all lips. And uh, we know from another documentary that we saw when we were at the Hampton Film Festival that music is banned by the Taliban. And when you, you know, the, a conversational point in a book club around what would happen if we lost the music? For me, music elevates me. It, it, um, it, it calms me. It... It um, embraces me when I'm feeling low. I mean, it does so many, many different things. And and then a conversation of what, you know, what would be lost if women in America couldn't go to school? What would be lost if we lost the music? Those are the, the points that I think would make great book club discussions. 
And at the back of the book, there are some questions for book clubbers, but I think that if you go to the beginning of each chapter, that's where the conversation could be really, really rich. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And that documentary, yeah. which you loot, is called Song of Lahore. So if anyone has a chance to see that documentary, also... Alongside this one, yeah, yes, exactly. like he named Malala, both coming out of Pakistan and both very inspirational. The other thing that I think is really sort of interesting to bring into the book club is um, one of my favorite books is The Alchemist also. Uh, As it was Malala's, yep. <laughs> exactly. And she says, I loved that book and read it over and over again. When you want something, all in the universe conspires in helping you achieve it, it says. I don't think that Paulo Coelho had come across the Taliban or our useless politicians. And I love that add-on. You know, she is able to translate such an amazing message from the alchemist and say, yeah, but he wasn't really up against what I'm up against. Again, a major conversational point. And reading The Alchemist alongside this book would be really interesting too, I think. It's true. And in the book and in the documentary, both just go to show the intellectual prowess of Malala. I loved that scene in the documentary where she's showing us her bookshelves. I had just recently checked out the audiobook version of A Brief History of Time, and I saw that she was reading that. And at the time, you know, she was 16 years old when the documentary was filmed, 17 maybe. And I loved that scene in the documentary where she pulls her copy of I Am Malala off her own bookshelves, and she had it inscribed to Malala from Malala. It was a wonderful scene. It it showed her sense of humor. Right. Well, now, what's also interesting is she did not, the first time she was up for the uh, Nobel Peace Prize, she didn't win, and she is. She's a graceful, graceful loser, as uh, Abraham Lincoln would be very proud of her. And she was the youngest person ever nominated for a Nobel Prize. Exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, who at the age of 11 does what she did, but... (laughs) Um, okay, and so then she uh, wins. She gets shot in the face, and she wins the Nobel Peace Prize, but not immediately. Okay, one year later, but <laughs> after her comeback, yeah. But the point being, you know, um, it shouldn't. I just feel like it, you shouldn't have to get shot in the face <laughs> to be able to have your message be any stronger or weaker. And that's one of the things that she says in the book that she doesn't say in the movie. And so you really need the book for this. And that's where she says, I don't want to be known as the girl who got shot in the head by the Taliban. I want to be known as the girl who stood up for education. But it certainly goes to show what they are up against. Because when they're describing in the book and in the documentary, when the BBC was trying to report on how bad things had gotten in the Swat Valley, and they wanted students to blog about it and approached Malala's father, who of course was a teacher, the students who had originally volunteered to do it, they backed out because it was just considered far too dangerous. And you really see the point when you read about how even policemen were being beheaded by the Taliban and were hanging in the trees. You just have to admire the courage of the people who still come forward and have their voices heard. Oh, you know, well, absolutely. And there's a quote. Let me see if I can pull it up here. It's 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 one of those quotes at the beginning of a chapter that I think people should be looking at when they're doing book club. I am a patriot and I love my country. And for that, I would gladly sacrifice all. And I have to say, I could say the sentence, I am a patriot and I love my country, and for that I would sacrifice all, but I'm not sure I would gladly do it. And I believe her that she would, you know. So mm-hmm. but I have to bring up and I have to bring up another one of my favorite books. Um, okay, The Diary of Anne Frank. So I was thinking about the Diary of Anne Frank in relationship to I Malala. Did that come to your mind at all? It Atul? definitely, definitely did. What's interesting is now um Anne Frank wrote uh, wrote her book. 
and, or it was, was really her diaries, and with never thought that anyone would ever read it. They were her own, own musings. I'm not sure she and thought either she or the diary would survive. I think she just wrote because she was compelled to write. And you know? I mean, she I, was I, not allowed to leave the room. So I would have delved into talking to myself, too, when you're not allowed to make noise <laughs> or have a conversation with another human being because it could just well, get you all killed yeah. immediately. At any rate, the difference to me between the two is Anne Frank really looks at her oppressors and she tries to figure them out and her great speech at the end of the book uh you know the last passage of you know instill in all i believe that man is good etc 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 and i think that in malala's point of view is much more sort of if you will from a fighter position of we must overcome this and without truly uh, taking a hard look, and I'm not saying she should, and I'm not tra- saying I would, I'm just saying I think it's the difference between the two books, is she doesn't take a hard look at why the Taliban has been successful or what, what makes them up. And I think in order to fight something, you really do have to understand the position of where everybody else is coming from. And um, I, don't, I don't believe in any position around the Taliban. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is the difference in the book, is, the two books, is that Anne Frank is somebody who just sort of pondered things, whereas Malala is an action-oriented girl. And I wonder if Anne Frank lived today, if she would have been uh, more in the underground. Well, Uh, and of course, they both used their powers to the utmost given their circumstances. So Anne Frank is hiding in the attic with her family, not allowed to leave the room, clearly not allowed to be vocal. Um, in the verbal sense, whereas Malala is certainly being an activist to the nth degree around the world in areas where she is allowed to travel. So she's still not allowed to return to Pakistan. There's a death threat over her head. And, um, you know, just to think about the death threat she was receiving via Facebook and slid under her door and um, the incredible courage with which she faces every single day. Yeah. But you could read the book or see the movie and still get a lot out of it either way. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. The documentary, there were some moments that were so moving where the visual medium really said it all. So for example, when they show her physical recovery, which was nothing short of miraculous, those scenes filmed in the hospital showing her physical rehab. I was in tears when they showed the nurses and the rehab assistants tossing her the ball and she just couldn't catch it. And you see the ball just fall to the floor. and Well, uh, to be shot in the head three times and live to tell the tale, I, I don't know. I, you know, there's something to be said for God's power in that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, that was an amazing quote that she gave um, in her first public address after she was attacked. She addressed the UN on her birthday in 2013. It was her 16th birthday and the UN declared that day Malala Day. And they do show this in the documentary where she said, quote, the terrorists thought they would change my aims and stop my ambitions, but nothing changed in my life except this. Weakness, fear, and hopelessness died. Strength, power, and courage was born. I mean, an amazing human spirit. For all of us to, to, to mirror, for sure. There's a moment when you have to choose whether to be silent or to stand up. 
Did you notice who did the music? No, no, I didn't. Thomas Newman, who we've discussed in other podcasts, he's been nominated for 12 Oscars. So he's done the music for everything from The Shawshank Redemption to American Beauty, Finding Nemo, Skyfall. Davis Guggenheim got him to do the music. Well, good for him. And that's probably, you know, a documentary like that to have his music is fabulous. And just a bit of trivia. Do you know who Davis Guggenheim has been married to for years? No. The Oscar-nominated actress Elizabeth Shue. Okay, well, that you know, and I hope they're happily married. <laughs> Another thing that I thought was very moving in the book and in the documentary was Malala's mother herself, who, like so many women in the Swat Valley who faced such oppression, she herself could not read. And the princess who was there at the film festival, she said she was the one who encouraged Malala's mother to learn how to read once they had basically been exiled to Birmingham. Well, the, the other thing about her mother that's actually in the book is she said... Um, when, after she got shot, her, she said her mother was astonished to see all the people, and she kept sitting on a prayer mat and recited from the Quran. And then she told the women, don't cry, pray. And her mother's a fighter, too. There's mm-hmm. no question. For yeah. Sure. And in the documentary, especially the younger brother, I thought he was just adorable. He came across very well on film. She doesn't talk that much about him in the book. And I think, I to me, that was more of a filler. Uh, I felt like like the documentarian sort of used a lot of her family now because he didn't have the film he needed to really tell the backstory around it. So That's interesting that you said, because to me, her family unit is a big part of the story, which yeah, is I why I would have fa- liked to have I, seen to the me, mother it's introduced her father earlier. Unit. To me, the, the story's she and her father. It's not the whole family. And um, to me, if you look at the book and... And the movie, you know, the movie, I think they brought the rest of the family in because, again, uh, that's what they had to film. But for me, I think the story is is, is Malala and her father, who are the ones who are carrying the torch for sure. Well, so I, wait, I have to ask a question. Mm-hmm. If you if you had to pick one, would you do the book or the or the film? The book. Oh, interesting. Oh, my God. I didn't think you were going to say that. I, I think I would, too, by the way. Yeah, I think I would, too. I mean, if you can do both, I think it's great. And also, you know, we know the movie's playing in a lot of theaters, but we don't know how many. And uh, and it might not be playing later on. But I'm sure it'll move to on demand very, very quickly after it's done. And it's certainly being considered. They're talking Academy Award consideration for this film as well. The message is certainly very important. And another yeah, thing that exactly. was brought up in the documentary is when they show Malala, as was brought up in the book, about how many world leaders she has met with, giving voice to the voiceless. When they mentioned her meeting with Obama, she did bring up the drone strikes. And I would have loved to have known what Obama's response well, was Well, uh, see, that's one of the things I felt was not good in the film, is she mentions that she asked President Obama uh, about the drone strikes, and and but she never gives the answer. To me, that's like an unfulfilled expectation that if you're going to tell me you ask the question, the minimum you can do is tell me what he said back. And that's also only fair for him, too. Yes, but add. Davis Guggenheim has made other films about Obama. So I'm wondering if that was something that he just gladly left yeah, out. I don't know. I don't know. But it but it's, a, it's really not a plus in the film because for a for him to be truly you know fair but secondly you know it is wait what did he say how can you leave me with that you know so now Hollister as a parent um you know this does bring up the questions of 
the father's sense of guilt? Did he just put her in harm's way? I mean, when you're living under the Taliban, who isn't in harm's way? Look, parental guilt goes, the minute a child's born, parental guilt begins. I don't know any parent who doesn't have it. Mm -hmm. I also think it's a bit, you know, sort of narcissistic, but I will also say that he was right in one thing he said, and that is, would she have been who she was without his passion for the topic? Because he brought that topic to her life in such a big way that to be with him, that would, you know, to get his approval, that, you know, taking on that topic and participating in that way was clearly part of it. But I'll tell you, when when we marched on Washington for Anita Hill, when my daughter was five, I took her and she doesn't even remember it. So, <laughs> um, but do you so, think Malala would have been who she was if the birth order in her family had been different? So if her I, I two no brothers idea. had have been no born idea. first and she was not the eldest, but the youngest, you wonder if he would have felt I, yeah. the same way. I, and I sort of feel as if it really should be Malala's story, not his story. And so I, I, I took that as a secondary message that I didn't pay a lot of attention to it, really. My father only gave me the name Malala. He didn't make me Malala. Well, look, it, it's a fearsome duo, and whatever, whoever is really leading the charge between the two of them, it almost doesn't matter because the message is still, you know, enriching the world with a, a new sense of what can and can't be done. So more power to them is what I say. I thought both the book and the documentary were incredibly inspiring, reminding us all that we can all stand up say the right thing, do the right thing. And I would like to end in Malala's voice herself with her Nobel Prize acceptance speech because what a powerful voice, what an inspiring human being. Absolutely. The IPR is one girl, one person who is five foot, two inches tall, if you include my high heels. It means I'm five foot only. I am not a lone voice. I am not a lone voice. I am many. I am Malala, but I am also Shazia. I am Kainat. I am Kainat Somro. I am Mozun. I am Amina. I am those 66 million girls who are deprived of education. And today, I am not raising my voice. It is the voice of those 66 million girls. Thanks again to LitLovers.com for sponsoring our podcast on the book I Am Malala and the documentary He Named Me Malala, and that the book and the film combination enhances your understanding and enjoyment of literature and film. 